Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. The first 200. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. Yep. Kurt Sandvig on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac. Let's talk about a UFO incident that, in my opinion, should have been disclosure. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. That's right, shout-outs going out to the patrons. Hey, people, regular people, don't skip ahead. I know you just clicked 30 seconds ahead just now, so now i got to talk for 30 seconds so you can catch back up to what I'm saying right now. Don't skip ahead. It's going to be shout-outs to the patrons in just a minute. It takes like a minute to do the shout-outs. But because of the patrons, this show is is possible. I mean, I was going to say it's available, it's real, it's thing. It's possible because of the patrons. You guys should be thanking the patrons every week, not me. Because without the patrons, you would be getting a lot less Paranormal Almanac. You'd get Paranormal Almanac when I felt, you know, like, oh, I guess I'll get around to doing an extra episode this month or whatever. No. The patrons are why I do a weekly show by myself on top of the daily job, on top of the daily life, on top of, you know, things are starting to open up again and all of the concerts that I had planned from, like, purchased in, like, 2019 are finally happening and going out and about and having fun and doing a lot of safe things, wearing a mask, being safe, I don't care what you guys think. Pandemic's not over. Just fucking wear a mask. It's not hard. I've been doing it all week. And then I get tested after when I get back from these events. But that's about 30 seconds. Okay. So I want you guys to all thank the patrons. Because without them, there would be no Paranormal Almanac. Probably. I mean, there'd be less Paranormal Almanac for sure. But patrons, reminder. Here's your reminder. If you run a business, if you have an Etsy, if you have a small business, if you have an online business, if you do something funky like, I don't know, tarot card readings or, I don't know, like you're a psychic, whatever. Patrons, I got a lot of talented patrons. The 200th episode will be brought to you by the patrons. Ads read by me for the patrons. Obviously, I can review and say yes or no to every ad, but... As long as it's not something crazy, there's a good chance that it'll be on the 200th episode, so get them to me now. I've gotten a few, but I want more. I want more. I want every ad. This part's brought to you by, and then read something from a patron. Hold on, Rum. I'll let you up in just a second. Wait, 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 wait. Let me get this out of the way. Hold on one second. Okay. There you go. Come on up. Come on up, sweetheart. There you go. Hi, Rum. How's my girl? Doing a show, so you just wanted to say hi? That's fine. You can say hi to everybody. Here we go. There's rum smelling the microphone. Yeah. Good girl. I love you, too. All right, let me do this episode, though. I'll be right back. Okay. So, here we go. Shout-outs to all the patrons. Patrons, get me your ads. ASAP, because we are, like, two or three away. And, Tim, yes, I read your I read your message. Yes, we are definitely going to do that part of it. And I got some cool stuff coming up. You guys are going to dig it. Alrighty, shout-outs to Andy, Tracy, Virginia, or Ginny, D, Tony, Flory, 
Jason, Vicky Crow, Clay, Tim, Buzz, Tom, Lobito Works, Glacier Main, Isabel, Jen Jen, Stacy, Tamara, Amber, Tracy, Matthew, Sandy, Kelly, Joe, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic Robot Web Comics, Sandy, Paige, Kausch, Sean, Andrew, Scott, Andrea, Devin, Melody, Ricardo, Vicky, Christopher, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Roger, Michael, Alicia, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties. <laughs> Elizabeth, Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Paul, Ricardo, Ian, Armor Times 10, Alexandra, George, Seth, Zozo the Demon. <laughs> Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Ashley, What's That, Carrie, Robin, Will, Lauren, and Phil Mangano, Russell, April, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Stacy, Jerry, Scoston, Lindsay, Megan, Matt, Jeff T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Lauren, Strawn, hey, howdy, hi, Veronica, Autumn, J. Mark Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Dan, Laura Pitts, and GamerFan. I also have to figure out, like, who is the oldest patron that I have currently, and not, like, by age, but by, like, how many months or whatever that you've been a patron, and, and figure out something for the 200th shout-out, special shout-out to that patron, because, damn it, they deserve it. With two special shout-outs on this episode, as always, to Joe Teague and my boy Stitch. All right, let's get right into merch. Head on over to tpublic.com slash stores slash Paranormal-Almanac. I think that's right. Uh, that's where you're going to find all, yep, tpublic.com slash stores with an S slash Paranormal-Almanac. That's where you're going to find all the new shirts. And I mean a lot of new designs. That's right, a bunch of new designs. And shirts are on sale right now. It looks like it's one day, uh, like one day or one more day or one day only. So if you're listening to it now, new, brand new, or, or check it out if you're listening to it two months from now. Maybe they'll have another sale and it'll be on sale, just happen to be on sale then. But for right now, all shirts are on, on sale. All merch, I should say, is on sale. Because if you click on any one of these, you can get not only a shirt, but you can get stickers and hoodies and kids' T-shirts and mugs and masks and, I don't know, tapestries. I don't know, there's like totes and pillows. There's a whole lot of shit. It's cool. Pins? What kind of pins? Hold on. Oh, that's cool. It's like a little button. Oh, I might have to buy some of these. Those are cool. Small or large. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got to have to buy a couple of buttons. These are cool. And the new style looks great in the button. So if you want to know, like, hey, what new style? What's he talking about? What looks great as a button? Well, that's where you go. tpublic.com slash stores slash paranormal dash almanac. Future Kurt here. Sorry, past Kurt. I have to pause you for a second because I forgot two things. One, I forgot to do the hand of fate update. Blah blah blah. Hand of fate update. Wow. Um, nothing. It's still there. I'm still making the hand of fate, um, replicas, if you will. Uh, the hand your at home hand of fates for you guys. Uh, you'll find out more about that on the 200th episode. But there's also something else that I need to talk about. So that's your quick hand of fate update. But the other one is. If you guys would like to and could do me a favor, there is a thing called ParanormalZine.com. ParanormalZine.com. That's Z-I-N-E.com. They have a spot for nominations and features where you can submit a candidate for a feature in an issue of American Paranormal Magazine. If you guys would like to, I would be eternally grateful if you could nominate myself, Kurt Sandvig, Paranormal Almanac. Uh, you can go to paranormalzine.com slash 
nominations and features. Um, yeah, I think it'd be great. Paranormalzine.com. If you go up to the top, there's a spot that says nominations and features. Scroll down. If you would like to, again, I'd be eternally grateful. Um, but I forgot to mention that in the actual show when I was recording it. So this is future Kurt handing it back to past Kurt, who has no idea that this just happened. All righty, let's get right on in. Oh, I'm not prepared. Let's get right on in to Paranormal News. Paranormal News. That's what I said. Paranormal News is coming at you now, yeah. All right. I love that one. That's so awesome. Thank you again to everybody that sent in paranormal news uh, bumper music. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them. But I want more. Send your own paranormal news bumper music to paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. If you're in a band, if you're a singer, a songwriter, if you just have skills to pay the bills... I don't know what I was going to say there. Uh, send it over to paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. I want your bumper music. Hi, Rum. Still doing the episode. I promise I'll, when we're done, it's too hot anyway. We can't go outside. It's too hot. It's like a billion degrees where we live. We can't go outside. We're trapped inside. It's too hot. But I love you, Rum. All right. I got to read some paranormal news, though. You can stay up here. You can stay in my lap while I read. It's fine. The first story in paranormal news... Tourist in Hawaii captures squid UFO on film? What is this? It says Hawaii is a popular location for UFO spotting, as many think that these strange objects do not have extraterrestrial origin at all, but instead come from secret bases under the ocean. That is true. A lot of people think that. But uh, one of the five observable traits of the phenomenon popularly known as UFOs is transmedium travel, or moving from air to water, or air to outer space seamlessly. This Hawaiian tourist caught sight of an unidentified object in the air, this one with a long white tail, reminiscent of the squid-shaped UFOs that many report seeing. Watch video here. Finally, I get to watch this video. I was relaxing and I noticed something far up in the sky. You have a creepy voice. I see a cloud. Still see a cloud. Oh, wait, there is something up there. What is that? I don't know. Zoom in, motherfucker. It's a kite? It's like a parasite. Oh, that's it? Oh, for fuck's sake. I don't know. I, I'm going to replay it without that stupid guy's voice. I personally think that it's a kite or a parasail or a parachute. Yeah, zoom in, motherfucker. I'll post it on the... Um, the Facebook page, but my I'm leaning towards a kite or a parasail of some kind, but I don't know what it is. It's the but the article says in the video a clear blue tropical sky is interrupted only by the sight of a tiny white blob in the distance. When the camera focuses, you can see that the object is white, oblong, or ovid in shape, and trailed by a long white tail of some sort. Mm, I didn't really see that. But sure, why not? Maybe. I don't know. I'll post it and I'll let you um let me know what you think, because I don't know. It's unidentified. It's flying and it's an object. So, hence, we got yourself a UFO. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, U.S. Navy footage shows spherical UFO flying around before diving into the sea. 
Now, this one has been bopping around for a few months, but it's back again because people are saying, hey, remember that thing from 2019, the U.S. Navy filmed, the spherical one? Well, it goes directly into the sea, and not enough people are talking about it. So, I'm talking about it. I'm watching the video right now. That's what's going on in the background here. Turn it down just a hair. Um, sounds like I'm in a coffee, like in a restaurant, trying to drink coffee while I'm doing an episode. Frank Omaha, pick me kid, Rocco Prowl to pass ability to launch Kilo ASAP. Okay, launch Kilo ASAP. All right, come on, get to the splash. I want to see it hit the ocean. Well, while it's taking its time, the video was captured two years ago. No, longer than that. It was captured in 2019. It is thought to have originated from the USS Omaha's Combat Information Center while sailing off the coast of San Diego. And I'm almost to the end of it, and it's still... Oh, there it goes into the water. Splashed. Mark bearing range. Yeah, it really did. It went right into the water. Hold on. I want to, I want to do this at the end of the water. What's your favorite movie by Tom Hanks? Splashed. Splashed. Yeah, Mark that's a good range. one. That's a good one. That is a good one. All right, so, uh, yeah, it's cool. Watch it. Let me know what you think. I'll put that on the uh, Facebook pages as well. Up next in Paranormal News, this one is very interesting to me. I, I'm hesitantly excited about it. London UFO Mystery, a 279-year-old file found on first-of-its-kind site over Westminster. Descriptions of what appeared to have been a UFO flying over London were found in a Royal Society journal from 1746 when King George II reigned over England. On December 16, 1742, Cromwell Mortimer, a physician, reported spotting an unidentified flying object soaring over central London. At the time, Mr. Mortimer was secretary of the Royal Society and detailed the mysterious object slowly moving above St. James Park during his walk home to Westminster at 8.40 p.m. He recorded that the object was flying very slowly, which meant that he had about a half a minute to get a clear look at it. All right, so 30 seconds isn't a long period of time, the article says. It's longer than most observations of meteor, meteors and similar objects, but as a result, he was even able to sketch a diagram of the object, which he wrote about in his, 200, uh, 200? In his 1746 report, in the journal Philosophical Transactions, volume, I was told there'd be no math, XLIII, which has recently come to light. He wrote, I saw a light arise from the behind the trees and houses in the south by West Point. When it had risen to the height of about 20 degrees, it took a motion nearly parallel to the horizon and went over the houses. As he watched the object, he believed its path had brought it directly over Bloomsbury, passing over Queen Square and making its way in the direction of the canal adjacent to it. Now, the drawing is, yeah, I mean, it's there. It's a little squiggly line, and then it's got, like, like a little spermy-looking dude with a bunch of letters next to it. Um, it's really interesting. I can't really read this clear enough, so hopefully it'll continue. He wrote that he lost sight of it over the Haymarket. He added, its motion was so very slow that I had about a half a minute in view and had time enough to contemplate its appearance fully. His diagram depicted an object with a flaming head enclosed as it were in an open case with bands of iron. The UFO had a long tail of light, which is growing gradually fainter, similar to modern aircraft. The sum reported that British UFO hunter Steve Maris saying it is the first of its kind. 
Oak stood out on a balcony. He witnessed it. They were well-to-do, which encouraged proper research into it. There have been a number of UFO sightings over the year with a top pentagram. Ah, we already know about that. I want the old stuff, though. All right, the rest of it is all about the new UFOs. But the, again, what I thought was really cool, I mean, it's right there in the title, a 279-year-old file turns out to be a UFO report. That's amazing. Stuff that, sh- you know, like, this shit's popping up, like, it's not going to stay lost forever. People are going to come across it and be like, what the hell is that? And the description was really interesting. Enclosed as it were in a open case with bands of iron flames at the front. That's, I mean, that's a UFO. It's not, there is no uh, meteorite or shooting star, whatever you want to call it, that would go that slowly and be on a parallel course. Really interesting one. I really liked that one. I was really excited about that because, as you guys know, I love the old newspaper articles about paranormal instances because, in my opinion, they they hold up a little bit better for me. You know, like, there was nothing in the skies around that time. So what the hell did he see? All righty, up next in paranormal news, air crash with plane and UFO is only a matter of time, claims politician. U.S. Congressman Tim Burchett has urged the world to step up its investigations into UFOs and fears that if more action isn't taken urgently, tragedy could strike. Let's see. A senior politician has claimed that a, con- that a collision between a plane and a UFO is only a matter of time, and we need to step up our work. This comes from U.S. Congressman Tim Burchett. He recently spoke about UFOs, now only known as UAPs, and urged people to be wary. He said, although defense chiefs and U.S. space agency NASA have launched probes into potential alien craft, he believes it's not enough is being done and an accident could be imminent. He's now called on the U.S. government to make public all the record holds on UFO sightings and pilots who claim to have had close encounters to be called to give evidence to Congress. I'm all for that. Yeah, let's do more of that. Hey, by the way, Tim Burchett, why don't you be on the show? I'd like to interview you. Come on. I'll let you talk about UFOs, I swear. Let's see, he's the former mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. He's often expressed frustration that defense chiefs have so far only been able to find an explanation for one of 144 reported sightings since 2004. He said plenty of military pilots have reported UAP encounters that have no logical logical explanation. Some of them have warned it's only a matter of time before an aircraft got into a mid-air collision with an unexplained object. Yet despite these warnings and the reports, the first standardized reporting structure wasn't established until 2019. Our government has been surprisingly quiet about the topics for many decades, despite many reports. Yeah, and the rest of it is stuff that you guys already know. So when I get to that point, I'll move on. But yeah, I think it's a great idea. Why don't we? Like, we're all adults here. It's not going to end the world if you tell us that UFOs are real. I've said it before. I'll say it again. There is no mass religious like, oh, my God, UFOs are real. We're not the only species God made. No, enough of that shit. We're all big boys and girls. We can handle it. Give us the info. Up next in paranormal news is one that I thought was kind of odd. I'll probably just skim it. But is Latin more effective in driving out demons? An exorcist responds. This comes from the Catholic News Agency. They uh, they said interviewed by AS by ACI Prensa, which is CNA's Spanish language sister news agency, Father Francisco Torres Ruiz, 
who is a priest of the Diocese of Placentia in Spain, sure, why not, who is in charge of the Ministry of Exorcism, said that many people wonder if it's better to use the exorcism ritual of 1614, reformed by Pope Pius VII in 1952. Uh, I, I don't have to read it to you. You guys all know the exorcism ritual of 1614, which was reformed by Pope Pius VII in 1952. I don't need to tell you. He says it's better and more, effect, uh, more effective than the ritual promulgated by St. Paul, St. John Paul II in the year 2000. In the first place, it's important to establish a theological principle. Exorcism is a sacramental celebration of the church and therefore receives its efficacy from the prayer and faith of the church. All right, come on, get to it. What is the, what's the answer here? Sacraments, blah, 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 blah. What does this somewhat strange word mean? Uh, it means battle, blah, blah, blah. Jesus Christ, who confronts Satan, I don't think that actually happened, the rebellious spirit in an exorcism while in the same ritual of the victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death over the devil is proclaimed. Answer the damn question. Sorry, I don't mean to swear at a priest. Jesus, I'm going to, oh God, now I just, oh, I took the Lord's name in vain twice in like two seconds here. All right, can we please get to the answer? The ritual of 1614 is neither better nor more effective, nor is the ritual of 2000 better or more effective. So your answer is you're just not going to answer it? Come on, guy. If an exorcist uses the ritual of 1614, he's acting correctly and it's effective. And if an exorcist uses the one from the year 2000, he is acting effectively and correctly because the church has pledged her prayer and her faith in this. All right, so the answer is they're both fine. That's a cop-out. You know, you know what? I will say it. Fuck you, dude. That's a serious cop-out. We are trying to find out why, because I've never understood why Latin is effective at all. You telling me that that's the only thing that scares demons is Latin? Why? Jesus didn't speak Latin. He spoke Aramaic. It makes no sense. Come on, guys. Do better. Alrighty, up next in uh, Paranormal News from Mexico News Daily. Residents paint home with crosses to ward off feared sorcerer. Yeah, this isn't from the 50s or the 20s or 1800s. This is from August 10th, 2022, two days ago. The belief that a supernatural being is lurking nearby has led some residents of a Morales town to paint white crosses on their homes for protection. Some residents say they began hearing strange noises in the early hours of the morning two weeks ago. As they couldn't attribute the noises to an animal or any other source, they concluded that they were made by a naul, which is a Mesoamerican folk religion, is, super, is a human being who has the power to transform or shapeshift into an animal. Not a skinwalker, not a shapeshifter, but a naul. Okay. First, it was a few residents who started talking about the noises, that is. And then, as days passed, more people asserted that they had heard the same thing, said Luis Salgado. Uh, he told the newspaper, El Sol de Cuaultla. Sure, why not? I don't speak Spanish, I'm sorry. At some point, one person suggested that the noises were made by a naul, and other residents agreed. They concluded that they needed to do something to ward off the supernatural being, so they decided to paint white crosses on their homes. And I already know that I'm going to get yelled at for my pronunciation of it, so I'm going to have the official pronunciation of it right now. Right now. Nagul. Nagul. But it's not. Nagul. But it's not a G. It's an H. Nagul. 
No, I don't. It's not a G. It's an A. Nagul. You can keep saying it, but it's not a G. It's an A. Nagul. All righty. Well, there you go. It's a Nagul. A Nagul. All righty. Um... They concluded they needed to do something, so they started painting white crosses on their homes. The crosses mainly appeared on homes on Buenos Aires Street, where Salgado says violent incidents have occurred. However, in recent days, fear of the Nagul has extended to other parts of the town um, in the municipality of Yautepec. Residents are so afraid they're staying inside after 10 p.m., Sometimes we forget that this town has a strong tradition, influences, prevails, eh, blah, blah, blah. It's fine. Um, anyhow, shapeshifter in Mexico, paint a white cross on your door if you're afraid. It seems to help. Oh, and then don't go outside after 10 p.m. And obviously, don't get yourself wet. Don't eat chicken after midnight. There's lots of rules for it. Already up next in Paranormal News... Child's pitiful cry in York Street sparks ghost debate. Uh, let's see. Okay. A woman has sparked a fierce debate online after telling how she heard a toddler sobbing pitifully for their mother in a York Street. But then, when she searched for the child in vain, she said it left her wondering if it wasn't a ghost child. That's right. A woman posted on the Nextdoor app. That uh, really, that's what they do on their next door apps. Look, if you pull up next door apps in my neighborhood, you just basically find out that all my neighbors are racists. Like, I don't have any cool ghost ch children shit put up. Like, come on. No one's telling me, like, hey, residents of beautiful downtown Burbank, put white crosses on your doors. Don't go outside after 10 p.m. Also, we're all racist. Like, come on, man. Um, let's see. That she said that she heard the cry of a ghost child from the Baedeker bombing raid on York in 1942, in which scores of people died. Others said it might have been foxes or cats, while some insisted she should take no chances and call the police. So the woman started off by asking whether anyone in the South Bank area, specifically Brunswick Street, had ever heard a child sobbingly pitif sobbing pitifully for their mother, but then found there was no child anywhere in sight. She said, this happened to a friend of mine recently, and she's worried that either she's heard a ghost child or she's going mad. She later admitted it had been her that heard the child, but was too worried about coming across as slightly bonkers. She said, what I heard was approximately 3 p.m. It definitely wasn't cats, wasn't foxes, because I've heard words. It was very clear. Came out of the blue and said, mummy, mummy, where is my mummy? Wait, isn't there a Doctor Who episode that did that? Doctor Who fans, let me know. Isn't there a Doctor Who episode that said something to that effect? Like it was a kid with like a gas mask like mommy mommy where's my mommy i don't know maybe i'll say it in the article i'll continue on she said it stopped just as quickly as it started but i was convinced that i was a lost child when i turned the corner i would see a toddler wandering there but no the whole incident left me feeling very shaken one person responded that said he lived in south bank in 77 or 78 and he and his mates had all heard the sound of a child sobbing for their mother my grandmother, who lived in the area all her life, told me it was after the Baedeker raid, Baedeker, I don't know, during World War II when a house was bombed and the mother was killed and the child survived. As a kid of eight, it scared the living daylights out of me. That's a great Bond movie. Another said that they lived on Sutherland Street and they believed they heard a, the sound of a distraught child crying a few times and never heard anyone or never saw anyone around when they had looked. Others feared that a real child was in trouble and the police should be contacted urgently. Please, please, if there's a child that needs help, 
or its mom needs help, we need to locate that child. Please don't turn a deaf ear. Some took it more humorously. That'll be a tomcat getting it together with a lady cat. Nothing to worry about. Awful noises nonetheless. Said another one. Are you sure you weren't watching an episode of Doctor Who? Ah, I was right. The woman said that she would even do some research about bombing in the area. I can't say I've ever really believed in ghosts, but this experience definitely made me think again. All right, I'm glad I'm not going crazy. I thought for sure. Yeah, I'm like, that sounds like Doctor Who. All righty, up next in paranormal news. This one's more of like, I mean, it's news. It only came out like 14 hours ago, but it was more of like a, a guide for all of the people that, uh, all the fans that say like everything that's on the TV Ghost hunting paranormal shows is real, are real. There are people that think that. Don't be like, come on, Kurt. No one thinks that. No, no, there really are. So here you go. From the Independent, I've hunted ghosts for paranormal TV shows my whole career. These are the tricks they use to fool you. From flashlight communication to REM pods, a lot of the shows use the same tactics to make the audience think they're in conversation with the dead. There was a time in my life where I would rather have been caught watching porn than tell people I'm a paranormal investigator. Mm, me too? No. Eh, no. No, I don't, I don't agree with that. And it's because it was difficult to suppress the secondhand shame I'd feel from seeing a lot of the methods highlighted in popular programs, almost all of which are plagued with false positives. Let me explain. I've been studying and investigating the paranormal days before my 18th birthday, more than half my life. I've been fortunate enough to be featured on what is considered the gold standard of parent investigative TV shows, Ghost Hunters. Eh, okay. I've also been able to launch my own series, Haunted Discoveries, which I made with a co-star and founder of the American Paranormal Research Association, Brandon Alvis. All right, that's cool. Through that work, I've attended events and investigations and locations. Many investigators wait years to cross off their bucket list. I would like to do that. But I've also seen how people intentionally fake as evidence of the paranormal and how they utilize devices that are, to put it bluntly, not worth the plastic they're 3D printed with. Ooh, I agree with that. Uh, let's see. If you watched a show called Ghost Hunting, you've seen uh, an investigator lay down a cylindrical device adorned with blinking lights, a small speaker, and an antenna known as a REM pod. If you hover your hand near one, I have one right behind me. The device will beep loudly and the lights on the pod will shine. If there's a ghost living in a... Bu 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 um, okay. Investigators will set these down and invite entities to come and interact with the REM pod as a mean of beyond the means of beyond-the-grave communications. Prior to this... Viewers watching a show will learn about the lurid claims surrounding location. Blah, blah, blah. Come on, get to it. Uh, it says, like, hey, is there anyone here with us? And the REM pod beeps. Holy shit. Are we speaking to a woman right now? Silence. Are we speaking to a man? There's a pause and a beep. Double holy shit. The question and answer format seems to confirm that there is indeed someone communicating with the REM pod. Sure, I believe with that. But they said these devices are ridiculously sensitive to various radio frequencies and cellular communication. That's true. Electronics have been known to set them off as well. That's true. So there's basically saying, look, you got a bunch of people around with a bunch of cameras and walkie-talkies and everything. Shit's going to set it off. Yeah, no, that is very true. But you got to, you know, be very wary of that. Um, let's see. Um, EMF is a measured another thing that people use. Uh, let's see. Again, electronics can set off EMF detectors. Sure. I agree with that, too. Two for two, I 100% agree. Another one, a flashlight communication. The technique behind this works as follows. Get yourself a twist on and off flashlight. Split the difference so that the device teeters in between being fully engaged and not. You want to loosen it just enough so if you tap the flashlight, it'll flicker on. Okay. 
Uh, let's see. Bum, bum, bum. The flashlight's going on and off. The only problem is this is TV magic. If you leave a twisted flashlight lightly disengaged in this manner, the short circuit effect will trigger at random. What ends up happening there is through dozens of questions and statements that either contradict or have nothing to do with the narrative, these things will flash on and off. Hmm. I don't know about that. I, I'm, I'm interested in that one, and I kind of agree with that. There is a chance it'll engage and the light will go on, but I've seen many shows where it is very specifically going on and going off when people say, turn the flashlight on, turn the flashlight off. Look, they could have edited that. I get that. I understand how this works. Um, circuit effect. Sure, I get that. Uh, let's see what else do they have to say. No, oh, that's about it. Okay, good. I, you know what? I agree with all of those. Be wary of paranormal TV shows because who knows what's going on behind the, the scenes of these paranormal shows. Um, but I will say that I do personally think that the REM pod is a great device. Absolutely fantastic device. I've seen it work myself. There's no chance of cellular communication or walkie-talkie or camera or anything else setting it off. I've seen it work really, really well. If you, if you can afford it, I think it's one of the better paranormal devices to use on investigations. Obviously, a camera is number one, uh, but you can do stuff. You don't need high-tech devices either. I think it's very important. I'm going to take it. I'm going to do a little tangent because it's my fucking show. Why not? I think it's very important to understand that you don't need high-tech devices to do a paranormal investigation. You got yourself a flashlight. You got yourself a, a cell phone or a camera. Get yourself um, some baby powder. Put baby powder on the ground or in a line and then see if anything interacts with that baby powder. I mean, you don't have to go high tech. You can go low, low tech. Just being in a location, just sitting there, being in a location, getting comfortable with that location. Don't burst through it. Don't run through a location and expect paranormal activity to happen. It's not the fucking haunted mansion. Paranormal activity will happen when they want it to happen. So go to a place, get comfortable in a room, stay in a room for a little while. Something may happen, something may not. Just because something doesn't happen doesn't mean that place isn't haunted. It means it didn't happen while you were there. And if you have gadgets, sure, try a spirit box. Why not? Try putting out a bunch of flashlights and REM pods and EMF detectors and everything you can throw at it. Science, I've said it a billion times, science will prove the paranormal, but you don't need that kind of stuff. Just being in a location that is purportedly haunted is enough. Some people are just sensitive enough, like, like my buddy Sean Bishop. I think he is highly sensitive to the paranormal, and it knows that. And it is very attracted to that. And hence, you know, paranormal shit happens to them. And then there I've got, you know, like my buddy Todd. Todd, I think, is, in, he's not a, a disbeliever by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I think he's, you know, a very good skeptical believer. But for whatever reason, paranormal things tend to not happen when he's around. You know, it's just, it's just the luck of the draw. But uh, anyhow, uh, that's, that's enough of that tangent. Like I said, um, look, I agree with all of that stuff. Take everything you see with a grain of salt on paranormal TV shows. Uh, a lot of them are trying to fake stuff and have been caught faking stuff. Both U.S. and U.K. paranormal shows have been caught faking stuff because 
Well, frankly, if nothing ever happened on a paranormal show, nothing paranormal ever happened on a paranormal show, people wouldn't consider it paranormal and they probably would turn it off or it wouldn't get renewed. Alrighty, up next, I got two stories left, real quick. Up next in Paranormal News, Bigfoot and Paranormal Expo being planned for Puxatawney. Hopefully you guys know what Puxatawney is, Puxatawney Phil, if you ever seen Groundhog's Day. Well, that area, they're planning a Bigfoot and Paranormal Expo in Puxatawney next month and received approval to for the event. Awesome, love it. We just thought we'd maybe start our own and hoping to make it an annual event, Hibbert said. I think that's freaking awesome. That was Michael Hibbert from the Borough County. Um, he's making plans for the event, but he said he was being cautious with the planning until he knew he'd be able to have the park. He says um, he already has four names of possible speakers for the event. Kurt's name is not on there. Spoiler. Um, but, I mean, hey, give me a call. Fly me out. I'd love to be there. I'd love to do a podcast live from your first event. I think it'd be freaking awesome. If you guys are in the area or if you find this guy's, you know, Twitter or whatever, let him know you want Paranormal Almanac there. Alrighty, last in paranormal news. Not really news, but something I wanted to definitely throw out there. Now, I don't know anything about this organization. I'm just going to read to you from this uh, article. It's mix106radio.com. Are you brave enough for this exciting, frightening, and secretive Boise volunteer position? Well, the Big River Paranormal Idaho group. What are they called? Big River Paranormal Idaho says that they... uh, they're, they're a not-for-profit paranormal investigation investigation unit. They've been around for 19 years serving Idaho. Well, if you're in Idaho or want to be in Idaho or want to go to Idaho, they're looking for new members. That's right, new volunteers. If you want to be, if you want to do paranormal investigations with a group that's been around for 19 years, again, I don't know anything about them other than this article, so hopefully they're a good group of men and women and everyone else involved. Uh, requirements, mandatory attendance at monthly meetings, possess the aptitude and drive to master technical production, adherence to a strict non-disclosure agreement, mandatory background investigation. That makes me feel a little better. The ideal candidate are strong communicators, team players willing to conduct late night investigations. The BRPI is proud to belong to the Atlantic Paranormal Society founded by Jason Hawes and Grant Wilson from the TV show Ghost Hunters. That's very cool. So apply today. If you believe you have what it takes, apply today. And how do you apply? Well, you go to BigRiverParanormal.com and you'll you'll find a team member application. Why not? I figured, you know, why not uh, why not share the love for other paranormal investigators? I want it to be I want I I love the majority of this group of people, these paranormal investigators. Sure, there are some wackos and there's some right-wing, right-wing weirdos and people that say less than nice things about other people, race, religions, whatever, ethnicities, sexual orientations, and that bums me out. But for the majority, I do like them. So again, I don't know anything about this particular group. So if you're interested, you know, take a look at them first, see if it's somebody you want to be hanging out with, and if so, why not do it? It sounds like it sounds like fun. Tell them Paranormal uh, Almanac sent you if it turns out to be a cool people. If they turn out to be racist, then don't. I'm sure they're not. I'm sure they're lovely people. They seem like they are. And you know what? If they want to be on the show, I'd love to talk to them. All righty, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a moment. (laughs) 
We are back. That's right. On this edition. Oh, wait. I didn't take a drink on my break. Usually I take a quick drink. Ah, there we go. We are back. On this edition, I wanted to start with one of the biggest UFO incidents ever. Something that should have made UFOs basically a fact for the planet. But it didn't happen that way. The incident happened. I 100% believe the incident happened, but didn't change the world as we know it. And it didn't happen last year or 10 years. It's not the U, you know, it's not the uh, the UAPs, the Tic Tacs, the Gimbals, the Go Fast. No, no, no. This one happened in 1954. 1954. October 27th, 1954 to be exact. Just after Roswell just after the boom of UFOs across America, but this one didn't happen in America. No. I will say that uh, before I get into this one, I was going to save this one for an October episode because it happened on October 27th, 1954. So I was going to release an episode on October 27th, 2022 and be like, hey, look at that. It's the blah, blah, blah anniversary of this. So, but I'm not. Just pretend it's October right now. You know, like go get something pumpkin spiced and then, you know, like pause this, go get something pumpkin spice and hit play and just pretend it's October. Pretend it's almost, you know, go while you're at it, pause it, set or while you're listening to this episode, put up your Halloween decorations now. I, I don't care that you're not supposed to do it prior to like, you know, you can't set up decorations in September and August and blah, fuck it. Halloween is awesome. Set up your Halloween decorations while you're listening to this episode. All right. For all intents and purposes, it's October 27th. Okay, anyhow. October 27th, 1954. Let's go to Florence, Italy. Oops, sorry. Florence, Italy. Where there were 10,000 people at the open-aired bowl of the Stadio Artemme Franchi to watch Fiorentina play their rivals. Oh, no. The Pistioesi. Pistioesi. That can't be how you pronounce that. I forgot to look it up before I did that, so let's do that real quick. Pronunciation. Pistoiese. Pistoia. Pistoia. All right, so it's Pistoiese. I wasn't too far off. I'll take that as a win. All right, so they're at this stadium. It's October 27th, 1954. 10,000 people are at the stadium for what they call a friendly match. I don't know the difference. I don't know football. You know, Americans, we're talking about soccer here. I don't know football enough to know what the difference between a friendly match is. I thought they were all friendly match. Are there unfriendly match? I don't understand. I'm not a sports guy is what I'm saying. But 10,000 fans were there to watch these two teams play. The score was 6-2. It was just after halftime. They start playing again. When the stadium, they fall, you know, silent for a second. Then they just roar. They just start going nuts. And the players are like, uh, what happened? We didn't score a goal. No one got kicked in the head. Like, what's going on? It turned out it had nothing to do with the game. And in case you couldn't guess it from the title of this episode, it was because a fucking UFO was flying silently directly over the stadium. UFOs, I should say. And I'm talking everyone was watching. It didn't just float by either. It paused directly 
or they, paused directly over the stadium. Now, it wasn't just the fans. The refs and the players stopped in mid-game to watch it. You know, there wasn't even one of those, like, you know, like, dickhead players that, like, saw that everybody was up, you know, looking up at the UFO, and he was like, whoa, what the crap? And, you know, he found the ball, got to it, and then he scored a goal. Like, no, nothing. Everybody, and I mean everybody, players, everybody, just stopped and watched the UFOs. Now, one of the players on the pitch that day was Ardico Menini, and he said, I remember everything from A to Z. It was something that looked like an egg that was moving slowly, slowly, slowly. Everyone was looking up, and there was also some glitter coming down from the sky. Silver glitter. He said, we were astonished. We had never seen anything like it before. We were absolutely shocked. Now, for minutes, these UFOs simply hovered and then kind of like UFO jizzed over everyone. Just to be clear, the actual term for silver or white webby stuff that floats down from a UFO is angel hair. But let's be honest, it's UFO jizz. UFO jizz is a more apt description of a bunch of white webby stuff that's floating down from a UFO in the sky. Angel hair? When you say, hey, Kurt, what's an angel's hair look like? I'd say, oh, it's like the Bee Gees in the 70s. You know, like they had the big flowy hair. Like, I wouldn't say, oh, it'd be like silvery whitish hair that just floats down from the sky all jizzy-like. Anyhow, anyhow. All right, so the referee's match report of that game even recorded it saying, play was suspended because spectators saw, quote, something in the sky. Now, among the crowd that day, that very day, was Gigi Boni, who said, I remember clearly seeing this incredible sight. He said he saw more than one. He said, they were moving very fast, and they just stopped. It all lasted a couple of minutes, I would like to describe them as being like Cuban cigars. They just reminded me of Cuban cigars in the ways that they looked. I think they were extraterrestrial. That's what I believe. And there's no other explanation I can give myself. That dude was there. Two for two. One player, now this guy. Both saying, one said it was kind of egg-shaped, one said cigar-shaped. I'm still thinking it's the same object. Another one of the players, Romolo Tucci, said... In those years, everybody was talking about aliens. Everybody was talking about UFOs, and we had the experience. We saw them. We saw them directly for real. All righty, let's move over to Roberto Pinotti, who is the president of Italy's National UFO Center. He said the players and the public were stunned seeing these objects move above the stadium. At the time... At the time, the newspaper spoke of aliens from Mars. Of course, now we know that is not so, but we may conclude that it was an intelligent phenomenon, a technological phenomenon, and a phenomenon that cannot be linked with anything we know on Earth. He said there was a wave of flying saucers over Italy. In fact, he said, it's a fact that at the same time the UFOs were seen over Florence, there was a strange, sticky substance falling from above. In English, we call this angel hair. Kurt calls it UFO jizz. The only problem is that after a short period of time, it disintegrates. He says he actually witnessed it firsthand as a boy. 
Look, me too, buddy. That was the first time I witnessed it, and I was like, whoa. Uh, I remember in broad daylight seeing the roofs of the houses in Florence covered in this white substance for about an hour, you know, like snow, and then it just evaporated. No one knows what this strange substance has to do with UFOs. The, uh, this same instance was written in the local papers at, the, at that time. The, I'm going to get this so wrong, the La Naziones headline read, Glass fibers fall on Tuscan City after globes and flying saucers pass by. The sighting over Florence. Oh, that was the, that's the subheadline is the sighting over Florence. Then it had a photo of a guy holding a jar with, I don't know, something in it. And then a drawing of the photo or drawing or a photo, I don't know, of the UFO over the stadium. I'm, I'm going to say it this way. It's too blurry to me to tell if it's a photo or not, but it's the stadium. It's people. They're all looking up. There's something over it. I think it's a photo, but it's, it's like a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Obviously, I can't find the online digital version of the article that day. I tried to find it. That would make me very happy if I could find it, but I could not. So I'm just going by the regurgitated photo, copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, and I can't tell, honestly, if it's a photo or if it's a drawing. All righty, a journalist at the Florentine newspaper, that one I just said a minute ago, La Nazione, his name was Giorgio Battini. Now, he told an Italian television program, Voyager, in 2003, how on that day, he received hundreds of phone calls about the sightings. He said from the offices of La, La Nazione, in the center of town, his own view of the sky was blocked by the cathedral. So he went up to the top of the newspaper's building to see what everybody was talking about. And he recalled seeing shiny balls moving very fast towards the dome of the cathedral. Now, he ventured out to investigate. He went outside to try and check it out. And he came across a wood outside the city that was covered in white fluff. He said he gathered several samples by rolling them up on a matchstick and then took them to the Institute of Chemical Analysis at the University of Florence. He said he wasn't the only one to do this because when he got there, he found that a bunch of other people had done the exact same thing. Now, this lab, led by scientist Professor Giovanni Canary, Canary? Sure. Um, he said that they tested the material with a spectrographic, spectrographic analysis and concluded that it contained the elements boron, silicon, calcium, and magnesium, and that it wasn't radioactive. But it didn't provide any conclusive answers as to what this material was. He also said the material was destroyed in the process. So, real quick, let me tell you what the skeptics think. Skeptics say that this whole thing was caused by migrating spiders who use webs as sails because of the angel hair. Here's the thing. That doesn't explain the very large cigar or egg-shaped or ball-shaped silver objects seen, you know, flying silently over the city and the stadium and everything else. Also, spider silk. Now, I'm not saying that spiders don't do that. Spiders do that. Migrating spiders can use webs as sails and they go floating off. 
And there can be fuck tons of them in the sky. A bunch of flying spiders floating around just waiting to land on you. Sounds great, right? But here's the problem. Spider silk is an organic compound and does not contain boron, silicon, calcium, magnesium. Here's another thing. People have said, all right, cool. Maybe that is the answer. How come there has never been a mass spider floating looking like a UFO over the stadium thing that has ever happened again? It hasn't happened since. It was a one-and-done thing. Other skeptics say, oh, okay, well, it wasn't spiders. It was military exercises with, like, flare shaft that's, like, raining down on people. Here's the problem there. Not one of the 10,000-plus witnesses said anything about seeing or hearing military planes or helicopters or seeing flares. None of that. Look, flare chaff as it comes down would look like silver, kind of glittery, not really, but I could see some people might describe it that way, you know, in a, in a less than accurate way, but it didn't happen that way. Also, flare chaff doesn't disintegrate on your hands within minutes of you holding it. So I'm calling bullshit on that one, skeptics. Plus, it wasn't the only spot that people witnessed UFOs that day. There are numerous UFO sightings in many towns across Tuscany on that very day and over the days that followed it. According to some eyewitnesses, a ray of light, white light, was seen in the sky coming from Prato, which is north of Florence. And the UFOs were also seen from the Cathedral of Santa Maria del Fiere just after the stadium incident. Also, two men, Gennaro Luciete and Pietro Lastrucci, reported standing on the balcony of a hotel in St. Mark's Square in Venice and seeing two shiny spindles flying across the sky, leaving a trail of the angel hair before moving on towards the stadium. Like, this story has everything. It has witnesses. It has names. It has witnesses in another location. It has 10,000 witnesses in one location. It's absolutely incredible to me that this story is not a bigger story. But we're not done yet. Uh, let's see. Here's this clip. I'm sure it'll clear up everything. I, I don't speak Italian, so what the hell do I know? Estratto dal pubblico sul cielo e non del tempo. Stava giocando si vede e si vede tutti la gente della maratona guarda in alto su. E fu un momento come un boato, come qualcosa di meravigliato che si elevò dal pubblico, tutti in piedi da sola, 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 su. Guarda là, tutti gli affaretti e si vede in cielo alto. Poi la gente Sure. For all I know, they weren't talking anything about this incident, but it says that it's about that. So if you speak Italian, let me know if these guys were talking about UFOs and, and UFO jizz and, and football in general. I have no idea. 
All right, let's let's talk about that angel hair for a little bit. Now, some how should I put this? Some very very interesting UFO UFO fanatics, shall we say? They don't call it angel hair. They call it chem webs. But Kurt here, that's just dumb. There is no proof ever of chemtrails. I just got into this with some freaking morons on Facebook the other day on some stupid UFO sightings group that I was like, hey, that's really cool. It could be a UFO or it could be a helicopter. Bah, you don't know it's a helicopter, blah, blah, blah. Freaking out. And I was like, all right, calm the fuck down. And they were like, next you're going to tell me that there's no such thing as chemtrails. And I went, oh, okay. Well, there's no such thing as chemtrails. What you're referring to is contrails, which is the atmosphere evaporation. You know, like I tried to be, I tried to take the high road and explain to them that there is no such thing as chemtrails. They're contrails. Contrails are real. There's nothing scary about them. There is no angel hair in contrails or little metallic pieces or any of that bullshit. And and why would, oh, geez, I almost got enough of a tangent. It's fine. There is no such thing as chemtrails. I'm going to nip that in the bud real quick. Also, uh, angel hair is also known as salacious cotton. I kind of dig that name. I like that name a lot. In fact, that's like a cool nickname. Hey, who's that over there in the corner of the bar? Oh, over there? That's salacious cotton. That's cool. Uh, angel hair is also known as UFO jizz. Look, I swear I'm going to get this thing started. In a year from now, people are going to be like, they're going to do their own like little podcast like, oh, let's do an episode about angel hair, also known as UFO jizz. That's how I figure every other podcast host sounds. I don't listen to podcasts. I'm just assuming that's what they sound like. All right. So angel hair has been seen, collected and studied all over the world for centuries. The earliest one that I could really find, it was reported during the 1561 Celestial Phenomena over Nuremberg. 1561. April 14th, 1561 to be exact. All right. I've actually talked about this one before. It's one of the oldest UFO incidents that was recorded in an art piece or an illustrated news article. So I'm going to breeze really quickly through this, kind of like recap it wiki style. Uh, according to the broadsheet, around dawn on 14th of April, 1561, many men and women of Nuremberg saw what the broadsheet describes as an aerial battle out of the sun. It was followed by the appearance of large black triangular objects and exhausted combatant spheres falling to earth in clouds of smoke. The Broadstreet claims that witnesses observed hundreds of spheres, cylinders, and other odd-shaped objects that moved erratically overhead. The woodcut illustration, that's what a Broadstreet is, depicts objects of various shapes and sizes, including crosses with or without spheres on the arms, uh, small spheres, two large crescents, a black spear, a cylindrical object from which several small spheres emerged and darted away from the sky at dawn, and supposedly angel hair fell onto the ground from this incident. But wouldn't you know it, I tried to find any living witness to the April 14th, 1561 phenomena over Nuremberg, and I couldn't find any online, man. Thanks a lot, shadow government. Uh, let's see, a bit more recently in Oloron, France in 1952, Great Lakes were reported. That's right, many witnesses reported seeing over 30 red Spherical UFOs flying overhead, along with what local school is superintendent 
Jean-Yves Prejean, described as a narrow cylinder apparently inclined at a 45-degree angle, slowly moving in a straight line towards the southwest. A sort of plume of white smoke was escaping from its upper end. In front of the cylinder were 30 smaller objects that, when viewed through opera glasses, or binoculars as normal people call them, uh, proved to be red spheres, each surrounded by a yellow ring. These saucers moved in pairs, following a broken path characterized in a general by rapid and short zigzags. When two saucers drew away from one another, a whitish streak, like an electric arc, was produced between them. From these crafts came a white, hair-like substance, which covered telephone lines, tree branches, and the rooftops. When people rolled the hairs into a ball, it turned into a gelatinous sub substance and vanished. I'm calling BS on this next bit, but it's, it's written a lot about online in the same story, so I'm just going to read it to you. One man from that same incident in Oloron, France in 1952 claimed to have been trapped by the white material. Upon freeing himself, it rose back up into the air. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, look. Two horribly worded, awesome stories. One in 1561 where there shouldn't have been anything up in the sky for people to see at all. Yet they describe what sounds like a UFO battle. Like I, if, like I said, if you listen to the older episode about it, it really is being described as a UFO battle that people witnessed in 1561. The other one, 1952. Sure, shit's up in the sky, but nothing like this guy reported seeing. The school superintendent, Jean-Yves Prejean. Sure, he's terrible at descriptions, but even with his terrible, like, the narrow cylinder apparently inclined at a 45-degree angle, it moves slowly in a straight line towards the southwest where a sort of plume of white smoke... Look, dude, just be like, you want to know what I just fucking saw? Here's what I saw. I saw this cylinder flying by in a straight line towards the south where it was like smoke was coming out the back of it in front of it there were like 30 smaller objects that were like red spheres each surrounded by a yellow ring and these saucers they moved in pairs inside and out and they they did like a broken path that was short zigzags it was crazy then all of a sudden all this white shit started i think kurt caused a ufo jizz just kind of fell onto the whole town and when you try to like roll it up into a ball it became a gelatinous substance you know jizz like and then there's this other guy who said like hey man i was trapped in a bunch of jizz and then i freed myself and then the jizz rose back into the sky that's how you describe a ufo incident but you know you get the picture two very cool very cool stories all righty Ten days after the Oleron France incident, the same events, apart from a guy being trapped under, you know, a big spooge pile of, like, uh, Stay Puff marshmallow, uh, these were repeated in Gaelic. Gaelic? Gaelic, which is also in France. Basically, they're repeated again ten days later. Same shit started happening again. All righty, let's move to... A fall of angel hair happened in Florida in 1957. It was witnessed by Craig Phillips, who later became director of America's National Aquarium. Now, Craig, he collected samples, but he said the samples disappeared before he could reach a laboratory. Then, November 2nd, 1959 in Portugal. A UFO sighting was followed by angel hair. There's actually a UFO, there's a UFO, there's actually a news article written about the UFO. So, 
Let me read that briefly to you right now. All right, this article appeared in the print edition of El Pays, and it happened Friday, October 13th, 1978. It's basically like recapping some crazy shit that happened in the past. So on October 13th, 1978, Nicole Guardiola wrote, On November 2nd, 1959, after the passage of a UFO, an abundant shower of angel hair was recorded in the Portuguese city of Evora. Several fragments were collected and subject to laboratory examination, but for about 18 years, the reports corresponding to these experiences and others undertaken from July 1960 by a biologist who proceeded to on another capture in the same area have been kept secret by the authorities. Let me read that part to you again. Two incidents, 1959 and 1960. Angel hair fell down onto the ground. They collected them. They sent them off for uh, evaluation, examination by a laboratory, and it was kept secret by the authorities. The report, which supports the thesis of a biological intervention of the ONVI, is signed by four scientists linked to the Center for Astronomical Studies and Usual Phenomena of Porto. The names were not disclosed. However, the story of the experiences and the photo micro photomicrographs that were made have been observed by numerous scientists from different countries, arousing the greatest interest because in one of the fragments examined, it was identified as, quote, a strange being, totally unknown from terrestrial biology, which can be the first detected case of extraterrestrial life. Now, again, take it with a grain of salt. This is just one person who wrote about this in 1978, but... It's called the Evora alien. It measured four millimeters across, and they said it was endowed with enormous strength and resistance. They don't mean like it could like flip you over. It just means by its size, like a tardigrade is. They said that the organism was placed between two sheets of glass for microscopic examination, and then said it was quite strong defensive reactions. Um... Later experiences showed that the body was able to withstand pressures of 350 grams. Initially observed, the preparation presented various colorations. The central body was yellow egg colored, while the tentacles, they say tentacles, but again, you got to remember this thing is microscopic, showed a rather intense red color. That those red colors went to rise to brown yellows. Basically, they started changing colors dark as well. So there you go. And they actually have in this article, again, I don't read, what are they, what are these, is it Portuguese? I don't know, whatever they speak in Portugal. Uh, Brazilian? I don't know what it is. But anyhow, I don't read it, but it says, Estado Meore de Foraca Ereia Cabinet do something or other. It's basically a declaration that was signed on the 20th of December in 1978 by some chief of something, Jose Lemos Ferreira, who was a general. Very interesting, very cool. This very, very tiny microscopic organism was observed in angel hair. Alrighty, let's go into the 1960s. That's when the United States Air Force funded an investigation into UFO phenomena because of public pressure. It was called the Condon Report. It was published in 1968, and in it, it examined angel hair as well, under the phrase, quote, 
materials allegedly deposited by UFOs. So they didn't call it angel hair. They called it materials allegedly deposited by UFOs. But they defined it as a fibrous material which falls in large quantities but is unstable and disintegrates and vanishes soon after falling. All right, so what did this report conclude? Well, it concluded that in several of the cases examined, quote, the composition or origin of the angel's hair is uncertain. Now, I will say that some did appear to be spiderweb skeptics. I get it. Spiderwebs can explain a lot of supposed quote-unquote angel hair sightings. But the report notated other cases did not appear to be spiderwebs, and they couldn't determine just what the hell this angel hair was. Alrighty, the newest case I could find that yeah, obviously wasn't just obvious spiderwebs. And there's a shit ton of those where people are like, oh my God, it's angel hair. And people are like, no, it's a shit ton of spiders in Australia. But the newest case I could find that wasn't instantly spiderwebs, not even remotely paranormal, was an incident reported in Polanarua, Sri Lanka. It's in Sri Lanka, basically. Uh, let's see, October 20th, 2014, Two weekends in a row, you guessed it, angel hair was found that vanished almost instantly, which, in case you've never played with a spiderweb, and why haven't you? Um, spiderwebs don't vanish instantly the second you touch them or even look at them. Now, huge grain of salt time, but one witness from this Sri Lanka case claimed to have gotten a sample analyzed only to see it, quote, come alive under UV light. Again, microscopically, but still. And unfortunately, there's no report on what that meant, where the sample ended up, who the person was, nothing. So huge grain of salt. But there was an article written about it on a not-so-reputable website called metro.co.uk, which, if it loads, I'll read that to you as well, or briefly skim it as well, because I know I'm over time, but frankly, this angel hair stuff is crazy. All righty, it says mysterious rain of alien angel hair falls from sky in Portugal. And it does look like spiderweb kind of floaty thingies falling from the sky. A rain of mysterious strands of wispy white angel hair fell from the sky in Portugal, leaving, uh, leaving locals baffled by the substance, which seems to come alive under ultraviolet light. Some have questioned about, is it terrestrial or is it something from UFOs? or just space in general. One local who did not want to be named said, it fell during the afternoon. I tried to inquire if airplanes flew over before, but no straight answer. It happened two weekends in a row. Nigel Watson, author of the Haynes Manual for UFO Investigations, I'm assuming it's not like Haynes Underwear Manual for UFO Investigations, says, sightings of UFOs were commonly associated with angel hair up to the 1970s, and in the past, it has been seen in association with religious visions in the sky, such as Fatima, Portugal, in 1917. All right, that's about it. That's about all the important stuff from that article. I'm, I gotta move on. We're getting really deep into this one. Uh, let's see, I'll keep going. UFO researcher and pilot Brian Boldman conducted a major review of angel hair in 2001 he cited the existence of 225 cases of angel hair between 679 AD and 2001. He said, some of the cases of angel hair are due to spiders, but 
others, there is no rational explanation and could potentially be extraterrestrial events. He says that according to his research, 57% of angel hair cases involve UFO reports, a significant number, which he says strongly links the two phenomena. All righty, real quick, I'm going to end this with, let's give science a chance to explain angel hair. Again, basically directly from like Wikipedia and other scientific uh, studies about it. Explanations include some type of spiders that are known to migrate through the air, sometimes in large numbers on cobweb gliders. Sure, yep. And they actually name a lot of the spiders as well. Um, in the Portuguese city of Avora on November 2nd, 1959, a, a substance described as angel hair was collected and analyzed under a microscope by a local school director and later by armed force technicians and scientists of the University of Lisbon. The scientists concluded that the angel hair was produced by a small insect of unknown species or perhaps some kind of single-celled organism. Yep, that thing I talked to you about just a minute ago. Science is saying it looks like that's true. How about some more info on this? Are you kidding me? How are you going to find a single-celled organism or small insect of unknown species and not tell us more about it since 1950s. Come on, guys. They go on to say, it could also be explained by atmospheric electricity may cause floating dust particles become polarized and attraction between these polarized dust particles may cause them to join together to form long filaments. Basically, this is a theory I'm really interested in. It makes a lot of sense to me that something happens in the atmosphere with electricity that causes like dust and other contaminants to become polarized and basically join together, making these long filaments. That's what causes angel hair. Now I like this one because if you kind of like delve into the UFO realm, it makes, it could make a lot of sense. I'll tell you more about that in a second. I want to read the other possible scientific explanation. Let's see on two occasions, samples were sent for testing on October 13th, 1917. A sample found at Cova da Aria was sent to Lisbon in October 17th, 1957. Another sample found at Cova da Aria was examined. The anal analysis found this to be natural, consisting of white flakes. When put under the microscope, it was found to be a vegetable product, not an animal product. Okay. Again, more info, please. Again, you've had since either 1917 or 1957 to explain that one. Alrighty. Let's get to what the less than scientific community thinks. Ionized air may be sleeting off the electromagnetic fields that surrounds a UFO. Okay. I get where you're going with that, but you know, you could have put more into it. Uh, excessive energy converted into matter caused by UFOs. Uh, can you show your work, please? I have no idea what you mean by that one. Move on to the next one. The usage by UFOs of a G field would cause heavy atoms in ordinary air to react amongst themselves and produce a kind of precipitate that falls to the ground and disappears as the ionization decreases. Okay, sure. Possibly. I don't know. All good answers, basically, was what I'm saying. Look, 
What we know, or at least what we think we know about UFOs are that they disrupt the atmosphere surrounding them. And I'm not saying this as like some like tinfoil hat kind of wearing dude. The U.S. government has seen this in the Tic Tacs and the Gimbals and the Go Fast. Stuff that we know are UFOs. Stuff that our government says are UFOs or UAPs. Look, if that is true, and again, it does seem to be, then it makes sense to me that the disrupted air around a UFO from whatever it is, the G field, the polarization, the electromagnetic field, whatever causes that could theoretically polarize dust particles in the air or other contaminants in the air and cause them to make these long filaments. Remember, that was one of the scientific theories. I just added, you know, the air around the UFO part of it. But if we kind of blend science with a little bit of pseudoscience, we might actually have an explanation for UFO jizz. I mean, angel hair. It makes sense to me. I've said it a billion times. Science will explain the paranormal up to and including UFOs. And I think it kind of explains angel hair. Now, I don't know why there is these single-celled tentacly things that some people see. I don't know. But in my opinion, in my opinion only, I think it could possibly explain just what the hell angel hair is, what the hell fell on that stadium in Florence, Italy, back in the day in 1954, where 10,000 people saw this stuff kind of fluffing off from slow-moving UFOs. Absolutely, positively incredible to me. What do you guys think? Do you guys think this shit's real? UFOs, obviously, but what about angel hair? What about UFO jizz? You think that's real? Because I do. All right, once again, I'm your host, Kurt Samming. This has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. My name is the UFO, you must like it.